Hi, Corbett Durand here, host and editor of the Pro Sports Podcasters podcast. On behalf of Nee Wallace Bruce, Justin Williams, and myself, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in in our very first year of the Pro Sports Podcasters. It's because of you that we put this on and hope to entertain and educate every single week. We've had a pretty successful year one, and that's due to your interest and feedback. And hopefully in 2022, we'll continue to improve and provide you with the best in sports entertainment. On this episode, we're going to play a few select clips from some of our favorite episodes that we recorded in 2021. Enjoy the show. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. All right, welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. Today we've got the whole crew together. This is our final show of 2021, fittingly on the final day of 2021 in our very first year as the pro sports podcasters we decided we wanted to get together and each of us select two of our favorite shows and maybe add a few others at the end as kind of like additional highlights and honorable mentions for some of the people or things we talked about this year guys how you doing i'm good kobe amazing it's good to see you guys so let's get into some of our favorite episodes of 2021 i think we'll we'll start with knee give us your first episode I'm going to go with Hugh Jackson, actually. Now, it's not just because it's football and we got to find out a little bit from a former NFL coach, which is not something that you have on your podcast often, but also Hugh's other work. When Hugh started to talk about his foundation and anti-human trafficking and that initiative that's going on in the States, and then that tied into what Justin had been doing with the government of Canada. It was just it was just nice to see and it went beyond sports. So I really enjoyed that that moment. Yeah, that was kind of a, a congruence of events that all sort of tied into each other at that time, which was kind of cool. It just sort of happened that way. It wasn't planned. It just worked out that way, which was cool. It was it was so perfect because the, the commercial had just released like two weeks earlier, not even and then he was talking about that, and I had like chills. I'm getting chills now talking about how cool that was, that experience for for talking with him and, and sharing like my perspective on it, and you guys joining in on that. It was, uh, it was surreal, meant to be. Just thinking back to your time in Cleveland, you were the coach when Bacon Mayfield came on the scene. Did you have much input in that draft process? Oh, absolutely. What I didn't have, I mean, like I said, people got to go back and and look at where that started. Our first quarterbacks were Cody Kessler and Deshaun Kaiser. I mean, you need to ask me about that process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, tell us about that. No, my point was there's a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, I think if you guys know or looked at my history in quarterbacks, I probably wouldn't have drafted Cody Kessler, me personally. I wouldn't have drafted Deshaun Kaiser, me personally. You know, And again, I wasn't making the decisions, and I'm not trying to pass the buck. But, I mean, there was other quarterbacks – you know, one that's played the Super Bowl in golf, Carson Wentz. I know he's on another team, but he had a sensational start to his career. Um, and there was, you know, Dak Prescott, you know, who now just got paid like 
you wouldn't believe. Dak, Cody Kessler was drafted before Dak Prescott. So that's got to tell you something. And then the next year, you're talking about McHones, Deshaun Watson, you know, that group of guys. And so, again, I mean, you you got to make sure that you get the right guy. But my question would be, were we really trying to get a quarterback? Because if we were, we, would, we had enough draft capital to get one. So we didn't take one. So uh, when John Dorsey came on, and that's what I'm saying, you guys got to understand the history. Here comes John Dorsey, who's a football guy. Okay, and he's now in the building. And so we go draft Baker Mayfield, who is a NFL quarterback. And so, yeah, I had a lot to do with that process. So in your experience, head coaches or even as an OC, you would have a fair amount of input into who you they draft or no? You, you better have. I mean, if, as the head coach, you better. I'm not saying that happened. That does not happen everywhere. And I think you guys know that. That's why they have GM. GMs are there normally to direct, make recommendations. And I think it's backwards personally. You know, I really do. Because the GM don't coach the team. The coaches coach the team. So you need to take the coaches advice on what they need and what they're looking for. And that's why the vision of the organization has to be clearly spelled out on what kind of team you want to be. And the team you want to be is the team that the head coach thinks he could be. And if it becomes the team that the GM think you can be, that's going to be a problem. That's never going to work. All right, Justin, what was the first episode you were interested in? So this one's kind of biased, and I feel like both of you could have got this had you thought of it like for 10 seconds. And that would have been on May 6th when we released the Matt Cause episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I was so excited from like <laughs> listening to him all throughout my post-secondary career to having him now work with us. Oh my, I, I couldn't, I, I'm still beside myself. I still listen to that episode sometimes when I'm just driving. I'll be like, ah, so I'm that cause. Oh, his tribunal was amazing. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun having him on actually. And it was, I mean, I don't know him that well. I don't listen to him as much as you do. But again, that was one of those interviews that went beyond sports, which was kind of cool. Yeah. And yeah, I must admit, it's pretty cool to see him on CP24 talking sports and then you just remember, yeah. oh, yeah, he was on our podcast as well. So I'm yeah. sure we'll get him back in 2022, no doubt. Uh, Matt, last time we had you on, there was a bit of a, a bit of a connection issue. And before that, before we lost you, you were talking about your tribunal. Now, this might be a bit old, but I do really yeah. enjoy it. Um, it's one of my favorite things that you have mentioned recently. And I would love for you, because I'm on board with it, but I don't know if the other two lads really got a, a piece of what your tribunal is. Do you mind explaining it for them one time? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my tribunal is going to be made up of a group of impartial, fair-minded um, people that love basketball. Um, and by the way, impartial, that's incorrect. That's a lie. I'm very partial. <laughs> but the, this got started when I saw Kevin Love just lazily inbound a pass to a member of the Raptors because it just seems like he stopped caring and he's just he's got that sourpuss pouty look. And he inbounded it. A raptor grabbed it, hit a hit a three pointer, and he didn't care. And it just it just bothers me when I see guys like this who just are not caring at all. And so I'm like, okay, guys like that need to be punished. So Kevin Love, you make that mistake, you're going to get fined, and maybe you're not allowed to leave Cleveland. And then I want James Harden <laughs> for what he did this past uh, year. He's got to go back to Houston. He can't go to a strip club for a year. <laughs> and then in year two, any strip club he goes to, he can only go to from noon to 4 p.m. Kyrie Irving, 
is only allowed to take 12 shots a game. I'm just tired of superstar player, you know, whining their way out of town. I think it's a bad look for the league, for the NBA that is all about saying we care about the fan. But yet, if you are a fan of a small market team, you know your superstar player is probably going to want to leave soon. But my tribunal is not just about going after sullen NBA superstar. It's open-minded. So Danny Ainge, when he traded Isaiah Thomas, who scored like 30-plus points in a playoff game a day after finding out his sister died in a car crash, and he played hurt, and then Boston traded him? Bleep you, Danny. You can't make a trade for a year, and we're taking away your first-round picks. And then finally, NBA owners, if you try to leverage uh, the, the taxpayers to pay for your new stadium, or if you want to leave and then you say, oh, we might go to Seattle unless we get a new arena, you no longer get your team. You're already a billionaire. You can afford it. Do the badass thing and pay for a stadium on your own. And James Dolan, we're just booting you out right now. So no, my no. tribunal is basically there to make NBA to, to, for the NBA fan who's tired of whiny players, evil GMs, and cheap owners. All right, I'll kick it off with my first episode. I was really thrilled about, and this comes as a bit of a surprise, actually, because it wasn't someone I expected to talk to, especially in our first season, and led towards some big things for us going forward later in our our first year, and that's Burt Watson. Ah, yes. The man who's been around combat sports since the very beginning, the stories he had to tell. I mean, we could probably have him on three or four more times to tell more stories, (laughs) but it was cool having him on just because of the insight that he provided for us and the connection to now Bellator that we have as a result of it. That was a a big moment for us when we got him. He, uh, First off, he he's, he speaks so well and just so energetically that it makes even the dead wake up. And he's just so passionate and powerful. And yeah, you know, like yeah, the connections are really great. But even beside that, I I do think that we also gained another friend for the show. So it's great. Yeah, he's been in the game for a while, and he definitely knows his stuff. And he's seen some of the highs and the lows of the sport. So it was great to hear those insights. How do you feel about boxing today? You know, it's, it's, I originally came from boxing. That's right. And, you know, started with Joe Frazier and, you know, seen through the Muhammad Ali, the Mike Tyson, and then Sugar Ray Leonard and Oscar De La Hoya and Bernard Hopkins and Roy Jones. I went through the different eras, you know, with Meldrick Taylor. And I even, my, my last boxing event, I worked with the Klitschko brothers. Okay. So that's recent within the last 10 years. That, and, and boxing was the combat sport. Uh, and then I kind of transitioned into MMA, but boxing was still holding on to its own. Uh, but when I got out of boxing into MMA, I was able to, to look back and see the difference between the two and why boxing was having such a hard time because it began to struggle a little. During the time, the days of Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier and Mike Tyson, the promoters in boxing, and I'll say this, and I'm gonna get in trouble for this shit, (laughs) Uh, but they would ride a racehorse until it became a mule. Okay. If that makes sense. Total sense. And 
it, it was good for a while, but then it didn't work. They found one racehorse and they rode him and they rode him and they rode him. Instead of riding that racehorse and cultivating everybody else in the stable so that when you needed to pull another racehorse out of it, boxing was not developing the amateur system. It was not cultivating the other racehorses it had. So when MMA came along, I, the difference was, and I noticed it right away, because I started in MMA in 2000 with the first UFC, they made use of all of their athletes. If you would go to a boxing event and you got a bout sheet with all the fights on it, you only knew the main event. You didn't yeah. know who the other 10 fights were. In MMA, I noticed when these guys came into an MMA event and got a bout sheet, they knew everybody. And I found that amazing. And it was strange to see that, that they knew everybody from the first fight to the last fight. And they were there for the first fight. Mm-hmm. So I saw then that this was going to be a problem for boxing competitively. And as time went on, boxing still did not develop its talent through the medium that it had. That's the television, the HBO, the Showtime. And I think HBO is now out of boxing. Uh, USA got out of boxing. And ESPN got out. But now Fox is coming back in. But I said all that to say that the recognition that boxers used to get i personally don't think that they're still getting the same type of recognition through the televised medium uh through your type of medium uh it's just not happening so the general public unless they put it on the middle of a major event general public has no idea who the boxers are yeah so back to knee knee who's your second pick well, I gotta go with Kat Osterman. She's the best softball player of all time. Just saying that. The best player to have played softball. And she holds so many records in, in pitching. She won gold medal at the Olympics. She won silver in Tokyo. And she's obviously a, a giant of the game. And she's, she continues to give back through, through her coaching and even though she's an Astros fan, that's cool. I'm cool with that. <laughs> I'll, I'll let that slide. But <laughs> no, she's she's really cool to talk to and just just to hear how she became the best of the best. Yeah, and she was humble, man. She was humble. She she didn't really have that, you know, attitude you'd expect someone of her ilk to have, really, to to have achieved what she's achieved, and then be like, yeah, you know, I did my thing and did as well as as well as I could, you know. <laughs> It was a Thursday. Yeah, like it was It was crazy. She was awesome to talk to, actually. Yeah, that's a good pick, man. With regard to the coaching, I believe that's a weekend thing. What does that entail, if you don't mind? Yeah, so I was a college coach for 12 years. I stepped down from that in um, May of 20 when, obviously, COVID pushed back the Olympics and everything. And coming from that, the facility I was training out of, they run um, a youth travel organization called the Bombers, and it's a very large organization here in the States. And they just asked if I would come on board and be their director of pitching performance. And, you know, we've kind of created what that role looks like as time goes on. But after I got back home, they asked if I would uh, help coach the 18 under team this fall. And 
really just work with the pitchers. Most of these girls are committed, ready to go to college um, next year or the year after. And so for me, it's fun because I spend the weekends calling pitches, but kind of talking to them about why I'm setting up the pitches the way I am or what their strength is that day and how we can maximize it more than just the physical, which is the fun part for me, because I think I was not a, um, I wasn't a power pitcher. So the physical piece for me is not as much like, oh yeah, let's get you throwing hard. But I like the mental part of it, of knowing what we're throwing and why. And so, yeah, I spend a couple weekends. It'll be four by the time the end of the fall is done with them, just trying to get them to think at a little bit higher level. So they're ready to go to college um, when the time comes. Awesome. Yeah. So if you can go back looking at your illustrious career with everything you've accomplished, is there anything you would change and why? Um, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> not really. I mean, I may not have retired in 15. I might have kept playing straight through mm -hmm. if I knew at the time that Sapo was going to be back in the Olympics in 20. But even that, I think my retirement gave my body a chance to kind of relax. And I came back a little bit healthier and, and less, I don't want to say injuries, but just less aches and, and old body groans. Old body groans. Hey, when you're 38 and playing in the Olympics, there was a lot yeah. of treatment just to make sure I felt good waking up. <laughs> yes, I should apologize. Justin is a, a touch younger than us, so he wouldn't no understand. Worries. He doesn't get it yet? No. Just wait. No. You can yeah. call us when you're 40 and trying yeah. to be active. Yeah, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there wouldn't be too much. I think a lot of people assume I would change where I went to school to try to win a national championship, but I think... When I look back at going to the University of Texas, being able to be thrown in the fire so quick made me have to mature physically and mentally as a pitcher that I wouldn't change that because anywhere else I would have chosen, I wouldn't have been the number one or two as a freshman. And so that really just gave me a chance to, to grow faster than I would have. And so, yeah, maybe not retiring would have been the only thing I would have changed. All right, Justin, who's your second pick? Uh, so my second pick, uh, he's now a, fan, like a friend of the show, a friend of mine. Somebody I speak with on the daily. It was a very, very recent episode. And I'm going to go with Jofi. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, there's a, him and I have spoken personally, and like he's called me on the phone. We, we've spoken for like two or three hours straight. The, guy, the guy's a G. He, he works a night shift, so he's awake during our time, which is kind of nice. But to kind of further that, he, uh, he talked about some things with me, which we didn't mention on the podcast, and I'd love to get back to it, but he's a big advocate on mental health. Um, as much as being a big nerd that he is, he also understands the, um, the situation of most people when it comes to depression, when it comes to, to entertainment world like us and, and feeling like you're always being critiqued because, you know, he is an MMA fighter. And so even on the podcast, you got to see a semblance of just humbleness, but then really, really cocky arrogance. So you can see like the true Jofi and then you can see the one that you see on stage. So it was really nice. Yeah. And if you want to tune in to some of the hilarity that happened in that particular episode. I'm actually going to release the entire 18 part series as YouTube shorts on our YouTube channel. So that, that should be a, a good barrel of laughs for anyone, especially if you're a gamer and you know what RuneScape is. The first real fights I remember watching was like Chuck Liddell. And I remember looking at Chuck going like, this is my guy. This is who I want to be. I want to have a mohawk. Somebody needs to tattoo something on the side of my head. I'm going to just roll my left arm out there and then just hit everybody with my, with my right. Everyone's going to go unconscious. I'm going to be the best of all time. Then I saw Chuck got knocked out and I was like, maybe I'm not going to be Chuck because <laughs> Chuck got knocked out. It really hurt my soul. I remember when he did his comeback fight recently against Tito and I watched that fight and was like, oh, I can't ever watch this sport again. 
because I can't stop crying. Um, <laughs> so I remember watching this as, as a kid and I was desperate to go and train. So my mom put me in kickboxing yep. for a little while. I would say no more than six months. I'm quite a high, well, I was quite a high energy child and I wasn't the most ruly, let's say. I was, oh. yeah, I was, I, I didn't have the discipline for it. And I still don't have the discipline for it. I need to make that very clear. Um, <laughs> so I kind of got pulled out of that at a young age, kind of left it on left it on the back burner for a little while. Used to watch it with my friends all the time. One night we were at the casino and I was mm-hmm. talking the most reckless. I'd had a few, a few too many drinks. We were watching the fights and I was like, bro, I would stiff anybody. Like it's happening. I could show up and stiff anybody I want right now. Like I hit you, you're hitting the floor. That's it. So my friend was like, okay he he fought amateur at the time and he was like okay so come training monday so i was like okay whatever like if you want the smoke i can provide <laughs> I, I have this for you um my friend is at the time he was fighting at bantam so he fought like 135 but he was about 170 because he was like he used to make massive cuts he used to diet for a long time before his fights i at the time was uh i need to give you the conversion about 280 pounds you're huge okay yeah, I, was, I am not a small boy. I am not a, I've never been a small boy. And um, we, we went to training that night and he handed my ass to me. He gave me the <laughs> worst beating I've ever received. And you got 100 pounds on him. And, and I got 100 pounds on it. Like he, he choked me multiple times, was piecing me up on the hands. And I remember going home and like I got, I got into bed and I got all real comfortable with a hot drink. And I sat there and thought like that never, ever happens again. Because I don't know how it is for for you guys. Maybe it's slightly different because you guys can't drink to like twenty one. But like like you can go out in England from from eighteen. So I've been kind of going mm-hmm. out since I was like fifteen, sixteen, and drinking. I've been in fights on nights out, and what I would consider won those fights. Like I've come out the the better looking man, and I did that, and then realized how how badly somebody so so much smaller than me could hurt me. Right. And that was kind of it for me. I was like, that never happens again. And then I went back the next day and uh, like four and a bit years later, we're still going. Now, my final pick before we get to our honorable mentions, and because there are so many, honestly, I had a difficult time choosing just two, but my final is very personal to me. And that's Carl Mecklenburg, because I'm a huge fan of the Denver Broncos. And he played in the generation that I watched as a child as a fan of actual Carl Mecklenburg. That was a very eye-opening and me as a fan interview to have, especially because he was involved with the uh, concussion protocols. There you go. That was a great interview too. I was shocked. I was blown away by that. Yeah, and Carl, he's someone that Justin and I have known for a little bit. And I think, I feel like this this interview that we did under the PSP banner was wholesome. You know, it was like, it was real talk, you know, fluff, and we're just talking football, and I think that's what we're about as a podcast. So uh, I look forward to more conversations like that in the new year. And be sure to check us out at www.prosourcepodcasters.com. We can find all of our episodes. And stay tuned. Now, defensively, there's some similarities to this current squad than there was in your day as well. What do you think about the safeties? that are currently on the on the squad versus the safeties you played with? No, I was going to just say, well, it's a, it's a different game. Um, I played with Dennis Smith and Steve Atwater, and those guys were flat knockout punchers. I mean, they they intimidated from back there. 
And it's really hard to do in today's game. You can't, it used to be the idea was to knock each other out. They don't want you to do that anymore. You know, a lot of teams had one guy, but, but we had we had one, two punt. And I, I remember literally having running backs trying to fight for an extra yard and me yelling at them, get down, here they come. Because I, I don't want to get hit by Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I became a, a fan of the Broncos because of the de defense first, to be honest with you. I mean, in the end, they had a great offense, but it was defensively first that drew me to that team but you make a good point about back in those days how it was really a full-out violent knockout type game you were part of the concussion protocol discussions correct i was yeah it was uh it was a tough situation the uh the nfl had not uh, let us know uh the long-term effects of concussions i had at least a dozen my last year i had three and I was unaware that there were long-term effects. That that was not part of the discussion they had with us. It was, you know, can you see how many fingers? It's always two, so you say two, and you go back in. I mean, that, yeah. that, that was it. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was a bad situation, and 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 I, I've lost friends to CTE, and uh, yeah, there's uh, every time I lose my keys, I think, oh, here here it comes, but. But I'm okay. Uh, I'm traveling the country doing uh, motivational speaking. I, I get up there and give an hour-long speech, no problem. And things are mentally, I'm I'm all here. So that's that's a good thing. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. Uh, do you think that they've done enough to protect the players at this point, or no? I think so. I think I think you know. Once again, these are grown men. It's their choice as to whether they're going to play or not. Um, with with the information that's out there. Yeah, I, I, the game is as safe as it's, as it's ever been. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we hope that the changes that have been made will continue and for the better of the players that play the game that we love. Okay, so let's go over a couple of the episodes we didn't mention. Ones that were maybe on the cusp of getting into our top six. <laughs> Nee, you said you had a couple backups. You can start with one. What's, what's one of the ones you thought could have been there? Uh, Kiara Michael. Okay. I'm not going to say I knew a lot about volleyball beforehand, but I learned a lot from that episode. And she just seemed like a really down-to-earth person. She's She does a lot within the game. She's a broadcaster now, and she's also she's also doing an art project with the Olympics uh, in and around Tokyo for the Olympic Museum, which is cool. She just seems like an awesome person. She's more than an athlete, and uh, it was cool to spend some time talking about her journey becoming a, a UK representative and a time in Australia. I thought it was a fun episode. Yeah, that was a very interesting episode. Like you, I wasn't a huge fan of volleyball, but man, we became a fan of volleyball through Athletes Unlimited, that's for sure. I love Athletes Unlimited. So good. Another person I was actually thinking about adding to my list, but I know we're going to we'll probably hear more from her in the next, next year or so, but that's Digit Murphy, mm. right? Because of... Not just what she's done for the Toronto Six, but what she's done for women's hockey in general. Like, man, you talk about an expansive story. You talk about someone who's lived hockey. It's just crazy how far she's gone with it. Yeah, hockey has been her life as a player, as a coach. She was the first woman to broadcast at the Winter Olympics when she covered hockey at Nagano. She has transcended, and she still has the passion and energy. You only need to go down to a Toronto Six home game and she's there. She's got that nervous pregame energy. She's low-key swearing under her breath when the team's not uh, 
pushing hard enough on offense. She still has that energy, which I'm sure she had as a player, so it's great to see. Barely low-key. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> barely. Uh, barely. She wears many talents, and Kobe's hidden talent is stealing my picks. Oh, here so, we go. Here yeah, there you go. go. Stole my damn Digit Murphy pick. <laughs> uh, which is kind of cool because it let me open the floodgates to somebody else who I wanted to pick. And just so that we're all on the same page here, it was actually uh, Jacqueline Simino <laughs> who was my next runner-up for that. She was a brilliant interview. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to that interview back and back and back. It was it was a fun time. It was just, you know, like all of us just kind of going at it and having fun. And uh, just, you know, Olympic artistic swimmer. It was just beautiful to, to interview. And I didn't know much about it at the time. I didn't know the name had changed really and she was a great insight especially her work with canadian tire it was just she's someone who i aspire to be when i grow up yeah man that was cool every canadian olympian just as a canadian that we had on the show was kind of special for me oh of course right you seem from humble beginnings and you're just like wow like this is you started this because you got out of gymnastics and then you moved into diving and they're like yeah it's a common thing and apparently it is and me we've got some some more olympians coming up don't we yeah, well, with the Winter Olympics coming up, we're going to start to roll out a couple of episodes that we've already recorded with some Canadian Winter Olympic members, maybe even a hockey player or two. So definitely stay oh, tuned for that. right on. Mm-hmm. I gave you that snowboarder challenge. You think you can come up with that one or no? Probably. Yeah. Oh. I mean, Commonwealth Games are <laughs> coming up as well, so we're going to get into that. We'll be looking out for guys like Dylan Bibich and Selena Toth. That's the thing. Some of these people that we've interviewed coming back from the Olympics, they're going to be doing their thing at the Commonwealth Games as well. So next, the start of next year, we'll be following our friends for sure. Yeah, shout out to Dylan. That was another cool episode. You talk about a guy that's confident and backs it up. That's, oh, my that's God. That's Dylan. The McGregor of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Sometimes I slow down just so my friends can get away. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a second place in the podium just so I know somebody else can have a, a trophy in their, in their case at home. I'm like, come on. <laughs> and then he cleaned house like he said he was going to. Yeah, he called his shot. He definitely... Oh, he hit the four-point mark. If there was a four-point line, he hit it. Yeah. That's someone listeners should definitely look out for in Birmingham. And yeah, he kept it 100, but we kept it 111. 111 yeah. episodes, believe it or not, team. So that's pretty cool. Is that yeah. how many we did this year? Yeah. Wow. 100, 111 across four seasons. And there will be more next year and that was just in a calendar year my dudes keep in mind remco pardue our first ever interview came out january 27th yeah so we're, we're not even at a full year of operation we're just done a yep. full calendar year that's right also shout out to remco for being the first guest that's right shout out remco he <laughs> uh, started the mma <laughs> yeah he's our first mma guest definitely so not our last i was the first to do it show me photos if otherwise <laughs> all right looking forward to a great 2022 happy new year to all of our fans make it a safe one and hopefully things get much better than they are right now in 2022 i hope so